Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. 2 Samuel chapter 23, find verse 8. If you're all there, say, woo! Woo! Uh, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Beshbetheth, the Tekamanite, chief among the captains. He was called Edio Enzanite because he had killed 800 men at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Hoahite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defeated the Philistines who gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harahite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory, verse 13. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink from the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is at the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and he took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Verse 17, the final verse. And he said, far be it for me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Move in power. Move in power, God, today in this first service and in the second and as well as tonight. We're mindful that we stand before you, King of kings, Lord of lords, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace, and the author and the perfecter and the finisher of the good work that you've not only started on the inside of us, but this good work that you've started within this company of people and in this region and even in the earth through King's Cathedral and chapels. I pray that your word would go and break in with truth and light, releasing power, changing us. May we never be the same. I bind demon power in every assignment that would come against your plan and declare victory, victory, victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated and ushers, would you begin to pass out those notes? Thank you so much. At our increased banquet, uh, I heard Dr. Morocco say something that when I first heard it, it was the year 2008, year of our Lord, 2008. 
It was the word of the Lord that was spoken over our whole church at that time. The title of the message, and I remember it well, was Becoming the Company of the Committed. And that was the word of the Lord for 2008, 2008. This text is so profound for many different reasons, and I'm going to bring it in application to the vision of the church, but also to your life personally. What Dr. Morocco said as he was encouraging those at the increase banquet, he said, this church is not built by you know, one wealthy person. It's a company of committed people that do their best. Amen. And the truth be told, that is how every kingdom is established for the Lord. Now, there are despots that rise, but despots fall. I love what it was said by, I think it was Gene Edwards, the king who has to fight to be king has to fight to remain king. The Tale of Three Kings is a powerful book that would be worthy to be read. It's required reading for all of my staff and those I'm mentoring. Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's really a, a lesson in humility and a knowing that the Lord is the one who raises one man up and brings another man down. This text is so powerful. How did, now this is, this is about David and how God elevated David. It's a small section of how David really became king by the hand of the Lord, but it, it took a group of people. How did David become a successful king? I mean, he, somebody said, well, he became a successful king because Saul, Samuel, pardon me, anointed him with oil. And so he had the anointing. Everybody said he had the anointing. Yeah. You know, he absolutely did. That's true. He said, well, he was a great warrior. Was he a great warrior? Oh, yeah, great warrior. He killed Goliath. At the, at the young age of about 17, when grown men ran in terror of the uncircumcised Philistine, he thought differently. He thought, with a head that big, I can't mess. He said, I've, ki I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear. Let's go. He tried to fit in another warrior's garments, if I could say it that way, the, the, the armor of Saul. He said, but he hadn't tested them. There's so many people that try to put on someone else's anointing, someone else's armor, someone else's call, and walk into what, what God has for them. I want to tell you something. You're your own David. You're, you're, you're the most anointed you that there is. Don't try to be somebody else. That's a painful life. I tried it. I tried to be T.D. Jakes. I tried to be a white T.D. Jakes. It didn't work. I tried to practice the walk. The man can take one scripture and... Just see revival with Jesus wept. I don't have a gift like that, but you know what? I've got my own gift, and so do you. And so David, yes, he was anointed. Yes, he was called. Yes, he was a great warrior. Yes, but that's not what made him king. You know what made him king? You know, you know what happened? Well, let me roll back and set for a moment and say that God's intention was that Moses would take the people into the promised land, but they failed. They failed. Moses failed. You know why Moses failed? He had unhealed hurts. Oh, I might say something. I might stay right here the rest of the message, in fact. You can see when Moses comes to Kadesh Barnea the first time, now I believe that would be Numbers 20. They don't believe that they're going to go into the promise. They didn't believe God. And so the Lord says, well, you're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years. Forty years later, they're back at the same place, 
And the people, the sons now, how many of you know that mindsets can be passed on to the next generation? The sons now are crying out for water, and he loses his temper, and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it, and he did not honor the Lord. And what ends up happening is water flows, and they get, they get their thirst quenched. And then the Lord says, yeah, you're not going in. You failed. I know many people that don't go in. It's because they have unhealed hurts. I believe that Moses was, was just unhealed and had an anger problem. And as a result, the same thing in the same place, Kadesh Barnea, he rose up and said, Oh, you people! And he, lost, he forfeited. He aborted the plan that God had for him. So God raised up a Joshua. Glory, glory to God. How many of you know God's got someone else besides you? Good. He can replace you in a second. There's people under bridges that can preach better than most people in most churches all around the world. They're just under a bridge right now. And so Joshua takes over. Joshua goes into the promised land, does an amazing job, subjugates the land within seven years. Except he doesn't quite finish. He entrusts the finishing of the project, the finishing of the subjugation of the land to the people. And they don't finish it for whatever reason. And it's a grievous thing. And so Philistines are in the land. There's still Canaanites in the land, even though God said, get them out, evict them all. And I love how it says, the Lord says, I'm going to do it little by little, because if I, if I do it all at once, you won't be able to manage. You know, I'm so glad it's taken us a little while to get into our building on one hand. <laughs> I'm not glad on another, but I trust the Lord. I just know that where we're at now as a church and as leaders, and as people, we were not eight years ago. We have greater faith. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. amen. How did David become a successful king? The key is found in 2 Samuel 23.10, but it's also found in a corollary text, talking about the same event, and I'm going to read that one. It's 1 Chronicles 11.10. First Chronicles tells the same story a little bit differently. It says it this way. These were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all of Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord. Literally, God found committed men. And when I say men, think mankind. He found committed people who will get behind the vision and see it come to pass. David, man, he had issues, obviously, with the, the, the issue with Bathsheba. There's no great leader that stands by himself. You know what makes great leaders? A great team. Yeah, generations before they had failed, Joshua failed. Samuel comes on the scene. He anoints David. And literally, the very desire of God's heart is fulfilled through David, a, a young Ruddy, which means handsome, also means red. I think he's redhead, ginger. All the gingers said, amen. <laughs> God's desire would come about through a David, but it wasn't just a David. It was a company of people that were committed. And I want to look at these three different men today and then uh, look at what they did and what they represent. And then we'll bring application to what it means to be a part of a, a company of committed people, what it means to be a part of a, a, a committed people. I met 
some folks uh, that worked for a local business. And when I met them, they introduced themselves to me and I asked them what they do and they proudly said, I work for such and such a company. I mean, you could, they, their eyes shimmered. They, they had a pride that they worked for that particular company. That's a committed person. You know, all of our, our staff, we don't really hire people. So what do you mean? You have people working for the church. Well, of course, we have lots of people working for the church. But it's not like we just go to a, you know, a pool of people. and We hire committed, faithful, loyal people. So that can be challenging. And every employer knows that's a challenge. How all the employers said, you know that's right. Let's look at these three different mighty men of David and what they did. Josheb, I'll just call him Josheb, killed 800 in one encounter. Wow, that's pretty intense. Eleazar, the son of Dodai, was so committed to fighting with the sword that it froze to his hand. Shammah, the son of Agi, defended a field against a band of Philistines. Shammah means there, or the Lord is there. Let me read this. Verse 16. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. What they did was, now it just says the three mighty men, but we can assume in context, it's safe to assume, I believe. We'll know when we get to heaven for sure. Verse 13 talks about these three chief men that went down at harvest time and went into Bethlehem to get David water. It's probably the same three guys. It probably is the same three guys. So the 30, the three men broke through the Philistine lines and drew water from the gate of Bethlehem, brought it back to David, and he poured it out as a sacrifice. What does it mean to be a company of committed people? The reason we've been able to do what we've done thus far, everybody say, thus far, thus far, thus far is because you've been committed, I've been committed, and together we've seen great things. What God wants to do through us and through the body of Christ, I don't, I wouldn't be, would be very arrogant to say that we're the only ones. We're not the only ones. There's a lot of great churches, and it takes the body of Christ to reach this region. But certainly we have our role. And it is going to require us to continue to be committed and move forward. What does it mean to be a part of a committed company? And now apply this to your business, apply this to your family, apply it to your church got lots of pastors that are online and look at this later apply it to your life the first thing is don't be intimidated by the task don't be intimidated can you imagine Josheb he wasn't intimidated 800 guys see that's impossible well it's in the word I believe it happened I believe the Lord came upon him the battle doesn't go to the swift of the mighty the battle goes to the Lord and if you're intimidated and you shrink back, I was talking with Ivan Tate. What a powerful time we had with Ivan Tate. And uh, Ivan Tate was, we were talking about courage and timidity and, and faith and boldness. And he said, a, he said a profound thing. He just has a way of throwing out these nuggets of gold. He said, oh yeah, without courage, you'll never fulfill what God called you to do. I said, oh, that's true. He said, yeah, it's because you have to make so many decisions to stay in a place of fear that are against God's word that you're constantly in disobedience. 
She said, well, I'm, I'm scared. Do it afraid. Obey the word. Obey the word. Some of you know what it's like to do that. I said, are you ever scared? I'll never admit it. Don't be intimidated. Fear is a tactic that the enemy sprays out to try to stop the people of God. The name of the game in spiritual warfare is intimidation. If the enemy can intimidate you to back off, to cave in, to give up, was talking with uh, Pastor Aaron, those guys, Antioch, California. If you get a chance to go visit our church in Antioch, that place is blown up. It is absolutely amazing. They've grown out of their building. They had this barn, this barn, it's a, a gym, close. Uh, they had a gym and they're renovating and they'll move in. It'll hold about 500 people. They're believing God to raise money for that. And they're in the process of going through the um, permitting and everything they need to do. And so I was talking with him and he was a part of another church, which I, I won't name. And, and for the grace of God go I. But he talked about how his pastor and the church was on this cutting edge. I mean, they, they, they have reached thousands of souls. We're doing amazing things and then his wife got cancer. And it was hard. How many of you know that's hard? And they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they fasted and they prayed and they fasted. You know what happened? It was about a two-year battle and she got totally healed. Totally, 100% healed. But somehow, he said, somehow the pastor just, it was like the starch got it was taken after him. He just didn't want to run out onto the field against the Goliath, it seemed. It just seemed like, this is good enough right now. And I'm certainly not judging him. But at the same time, there are things, and I don't know that this happened to that pastor, but it did cross my mind as I was studying this text. There are things that can happen to cause you to shrink back and be intimidated. Don't you be intimidated by the crowd. Don't you be intimidated by the lack of finances that you might have or the lack of ability, the lack of education. You say, well, I just don't. Yeah, Noah built a boat. There was never a boat before that. He was a novice. It was his first boat. Saved the whole world. Come on, God can use you. Come on, someone say God can use you. Come on, don't, don't be a yellow belly sap sucker. They used to say, don't be intimidated. Come on, someone say, I'm not going to be intimidated. Courage. No. Series of false prophet. You got to watch out for her. We live in a time where there's so many people that are their commitments very shallow. There's a real enemy that attempts to put lies in your mind to say that you can't do it, or it's impossible, or we're not qualified. Yeah, you're not qualified. You know who qualifies you? The Lord. We'll look at this later, but you read the text. It wasn't say, oh, and they were so gifted. They were so awesome. It says, no. It says the Lord gave victory that day. The Lord gave victory that day. It's not about the guy who's wielding the sword, although he did. It wasn't all God. You understand? He had to acquire courage. He had to be committed when others would run. Don't be intimidated. Bump your neighbor and say, don't be intimidated. Let me give you a scripture for that. Hebrews 10, 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Say, I'm not that kind of shrinks back. I'm not the kind that shrinks back. You'll notice uh, that he fought on when others left. Now, there's two guys that do the same thing. Verse 9, I want to look at him. 
After him was Eleazar. Do you know what Eleazar means? It means mighty divine helper. Names in scripture mean things. Ichabod means the glory departed. That's when the ark was captured. They named him. Don't ever name your kid Ichabod. Jezebel is another one you probably don't want to use. The Ahoahite, verse 9 of our text. of The three mighty men of David, he... He defied the Philistines who gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel retreated. You know, it's encouraging to be with a crowd. I love being with a crowd, especially if they're committed. But there are times when the crowd's not committed. There's times when you're going to have to stand by yourself. I, I say to leaders in leader symposiums when I'm training and, and raising up disciples and teaching pastors, leadership's lonely at times. And, and you'll see it in the life of Jesus. You know, you say, well, Jesus had the disciples? Really? What a crew. <laughs> I mean, then he had, he, had, he had Peter, James, and John, faith, hope, and love. He had them in the garden. But even then, he's like, pray for an hour. They all go to sleep. There's times of Gethsemane. There's times when you don't know how to make it. You don't know what you're going to do. You cry out to God. Gethsemane means oil press. Some of you go through a difficulty, and it's not an oil press, it's, it's a lemon juice. Complaining, arguing, angry. When you go through difficulty, there are times when there's people, they're all stones throw away, but they're asleep. There's times as a leader, a leader of a company, CEOs, as a father, as a mother, there's times where you have to get a hold of the garment of God and don't let go. You take hold of the horns of the altar and you pray through. You pray through. And if you don't, yeah, you're going to get wiped out. Said, have you had times like that? Can't count them all. More ahead. Fight on when others leave. Everybody say, fight on when others leave. I ain't leaving. You know what I've found at every juncture in vision as a pastor, but I've seen it with corporations and friends of mine that are entrepreneurs. At every juncture of steps of faith, you always have people that just can't go with you. They're like, I can't do that. I can't. I, it just requires too much. Yeah, it requires a lot. If you look in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says they overcome him, talking about Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And that third part that's usually not preached and love their lives not so much as to shrink from death. Everything in the kingdom is going to require, if you're going to do something for God, it's going to require everything you have. And you look at, God is going to ask for your Isaac, as he did for Abraham. And it's disconcerting. At times, fight on when others leave. The issue is not what, what the crowd's doing. The issue is, what does the Lord want to do? And God will choose you, will choose me. He'll, he'll choose a company of people to follow through. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Clinch the sword. Now, this is, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Go to Ephesians 6. This is a picture of... Eleazar fought so long, so hard that his muscles froze around the hilt of the sword. And Ephesians 
chapter 6 and verse 10, and I'll read it to you. I believe this is a New International Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? His mighty power. Not your degree. Not your physical stamina. Not your, not your intelligence or the lack thereof. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's all say that again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. If God calls you to do it, he'll anoint you to flow through you to fulfill that vision. But if you shrink back, I'm going to tell you, fear comes. You're going to acquire courage. you got to do it. Come on, somebody say, just do it. Nike had that, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you're able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. I don't want to tell you right now that the devil has schemes, and I'm not ignorant of them. There was a time when I was. I'm not ignorant of them now, and whatever else the Lord wants to teach me about the devil's schemes, I'm open to learn. But usually he doesn't have any new tricks under the sun. He's been, he's been defiling people, destroying churches, destroying companies, destroying families. He's been destroying fathers and mothers and sons and daughters for millennium. And if you think he can't lay his mitts on you or work through you, if you get out of kilter, if you get off track, then you're wrong. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if you stay under the mighty hand of God's blessing and continue to obey him and live for him, MC Hammer had it right. Boom, doom, 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 doom. Can't touch this. Jesus said, Jesus said, Satan is coming. He has no hold on me. Part of the problem is we have part-time worshipers, part-time serving God, and then they end up defiled and wonder, and then get angry at God that he didn't come through when they have, they're not tithers, they're not givers, they don't pray, they don't live holy, they're half defiled and they're like, the Lord, don't you even love me? He's like, oh. Living with your boyfriend, playing house, you want the blessing of God. You're, you're outside of the will of God. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. <laughs> the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. Are you all there? against the powers of dark of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Don't ever forget it. Your wife is not the enemy. Your husband is not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy. The church, it's the devil that comes to destroy, steal, kill. And I'm going to tell you, the only way the devil can talk is by using your mouth. Let's have a praise break. I'll be right back. Amen. Praise God. Ephesians goes on to talk about how we're supposed to use our mouths to build one another up. Another up. I've not always done that. I try to now. If you don't have something nice to say, your mama taught you. Don't say anything at all. Oh, you don't know what's happening. People would do Matthew 18. Matthew 15, 18. Matthew 18. We would have a whole lot less challenges in their lives. Where are we? Look at verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when, when the day of evil comes, so there's a day of evil apparently, you may be able to stand your ground. 
and having done everything, to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes to the gospel of peace. Verse 16. Come on, some of this. Verse 16. You all there? In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. This, this Eleazar Grip the sword. Now, the Old Testament is a picture book of New Testament reality. So when you see Eleazar, the mighty divine helper, that's what his name means, and he grips the sword. He grips the sword, and he, so, he grips it so tight, fights so long, that his hand freezes to the, to the hilt. How does that happen? I don't know. Maybe it's like muscle spasms or whatever, but he wasn't going to let go, and he wasn't going to retreat. That is a picture. The sword of the Spirit is a picture of the Word and prayer. Everybody say it. The Word and prayer. If you're going to take your lentil field, and by the way, it is a picture of the harvest. You're going to see your family serve God. If we're going to take this nation back, you better have the sword in your hand. You better have a lifestyle of prayer. That's what. That's who we are at Kings. That's who we are. Lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of wielding the sword, declaring the word of the Lord, declaring it, declaring it. We will move in with shouts of grace, grace. It'll be paid off. We'll, and we'll move on to other things. It is absolutely about the heart. Man, I might preach now. I've just got, I've got my, I preach myself happy. Lentils. Lentil field. It's a picture of the harvest at, at full stage. That is how our culture is. No, it's not, Pastor. Those people don't want to get... No, they don't want to get saved by you lemon juice Christian. They, want to, they really do want it. The answer is so. There's nobody in here. Don't be offended. People are looking for answers. You know, secular humanism in colleges is failing. Did you know that? Because there's no real answers. People are not really satisfied by money. You have, a whole, you have a whole generation of millennials that their parents are very wealthy and they could care less. They could care less. They're not going to do the educator. They're going to work hard because they don't care. Because they saw that their parents were jacked up with all kinds of money, and I don't care. That obviously doesn't work. You're right. You know, there's only one thing. There's only one, I should say. His name is Jesus. And there is so many that need Christ. I witnessed a whole bunch when I was in California, just everywhere I go just using something to try to reach people, to tell them about the love of God. The harvest is worth fighting for, and that's what he's a picture of. Keep your eyes on the harvest right in your notes and fight for it. Shama in the field. That's why we do what we do. Do you know there's so many churches across the land, they don't even have Sunday, they have no Sunday night, they have no midweek. And they've said, well, you're going to wear people out. Are you kidding me? They wear themselves out on Snapchat, Instagram. They wear themselves out on Facebook, defiling themselves with Disney+. Plus. They go on to watch all kinds of stuff, and they're like, man, we just know we're going to tire them when they come to church. What are you kidding? Are you kidding me? That's a lie. Come Sunday night, you'll see. Oh, I know the sun's out. Maybe you got some spring cleanup. I get it. But most Sunday nights, there's going to be people that flood this place. There'll be hundreds of people here. Why? Because they're hungry. So I can't, I don't have time. You don't have an hour and a half. Something wrong with you. <laughs> okay, we better move on. I've got myself in trouble, which I'm happy to do. Keep in mind, it's verse 10, verse 12, the Lord working through them. Keep in mind also this commitment to 
is an act of worship. Look at F. You know, they went and broke through to get David a drink of water in our text that we read. And you know that the, do you know that there's hundreds of people serving today? Did you know how many people it takes to serve or to do our children's church? People that you came in, you were greeted by folks. You, 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 we had ushers. We have, we have people that are, that are packing. Security. We have security. Everywhere. Plus three quarters of you carry anyway. We will never have a problem, but in places where there's security and there's trained and they've done trained active shooting, we will, we will never have a problem. But in places where there's, where there's trained active shooter folks, security, like here, you know what you want to do? Get down. We have, we, we've run through scenarios. We do, why would we do that? To keep you safe. That's serving. There's people serving. People got here. Do you know that people got here at 645 this morning? 630? For what? Clean up, straighten up, vacuum a little bit, get things ready. You know, the worship team starts practicing at 7 a.m. It's 1030 right now, almost. I've got nine minutes and 27 seconds to land this message. (laughs) Talking about being committed. Talking about being committed. It takes a company of people to reach a region. And it it really is a commitment as an act of worship. All right, let's, let's look at this very quickly as we close. God's speaking to you, he's speaking to me, he's speaking to us as a church, but let's go personally first. Be committed to the things that God has called you to be committed to, like your husband, like your wife, like your marriage. Be committed to that which God has called you to. If you're in the military and you're not committed, I've said it so many times before, you're going to get a dishonorable discharge. You've got to show up at revelry, right? Is that it? I got that right? Yeah, you better show up. You're going to make your bed. You're going to make your bed a specific way. You're going to shine your boots, son, or you're going to be eating one. It's a picture of being committed in the military. What makes us think that we, a lack of commitment to family, to your children, you got to be committed to raising your children. You know, it's costly to raise kids. My daughter's 22. She's on her own. She's doing great. She had a trip that she took for, for work. And she just, she needed somebody to assist her. Couldn't quite figure it out. Other family, other, not family, but friends had other things and jobs. So Pastor Karen went. Yeah, we had to pay the plane ticket. Hello. And you like went shopping or whatever you did down there. <laughs> the point is, the point is, it's costly. It's costly to see things through to the other side in your family and your marriage. I forgot to tell you, but I got hit on at the airport last night. (laughs) It was way more aggressive than usual. And this lady, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. My wife's on the curb. And this lady says, hey. I'm like, ugh. I look back and she's like, do you want to take a tech? I'm like, no, 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 God, no. Okay. I just put that New York walk on and kept going. Why? I'm committed. 
I'm married. Some of you like look back and be like, well, you know. Be committed. Be committed. Corporately got to be committed to the vision God's given us. We will have a hundred, pardon me, we will have 1,200 churches by 2025. It will happen. How? The same way the first 500 happened. We're soon to be into this building. Don't waver in your commitment. And let me say this to you. If you have questions about anything, we're an open book. So you come and ask, we're happy to answer them. Keep your, keep your, your gate straight. Amen. Be, be in prayer. We're going to see this vision come. To, we will have a church in Fairbanks. We'll have a church in Juneau. We will? Oh, yeah. We'll have a church in Anchorage. We, we started one a while back. We, we felt like the Lord wanted us to just retreat and regather for a moment. We'll hit it again. We've got a life group. It's growing. Great things are happening. So when? I don't know. We're just trying to be led by the Lord. Are there any other places? Yeah, hundreds. I'm young. You're young. I'm going to 120 years old. I'm not going to stop. I have no intention of stopping. We will plant hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches just from Alaska, never mind kings worldwide. Really? Yeah. Ask yourself this question. Are you a part of the company of committed? Are you? You'll never know what it means to walk in the victory that God has for you if you don't become committed. Don't just be a part of the army. How about believe God to be a part of the three? And then lastly, others become committed through our commitment. I've found when I've seen this deep covenant commitment with people in my early years with the Lord, it just, I thought, man, I, I need that. I remember years ago being a part of a production we did and uh, I think I wanted to go and see Karen on a date or something. I forget what it was, but it was, <laughs> we were cleaning up. We're in like the first hour of cleanup. It takes like four, three, four hours to clean up. You got to put everything in weight. You got to break everything down. You got to clean everything. You got to put all the chairs back. It's a lot of, a lot of work. And I remember going to Pastor Chris. I'm like saying, hey, Pastor Chris, uh, are we good? He's like, yeah, we're good. Why? I'm like, yeah, okay. So we're done, right? I'm going to cut out. He's like, huh. I said, okay, see you later. And I faded. I, it took me a little while to learn to go, to go the distance. Go the distance with your marriage. Go the distance with your kids. Go the distance with the church, with the vision that God's given us. Go the distance. Go the distance with America. God's not done with America. I said, God's not done with America. Go the distance with the commitments that he's given you. Be the best. Listen, you're working for Jesus. You're not working for man. Work is under the Lord. Colossians talks about that. Did you get something? Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.